0: This podcast is supported by Patreon. You can show your support on patreon.com slash toadsanime and get four early episodes a month for just a few bucks. Plus, it helps Ryan buy Digimon toys. Alternatively, spend it on something more important. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Toad On Games podcast, the only podcast in the world where something, something, something. Don't know why, but for some reason, I seem to start every episode with that. Today, hopefully, if you've seen the title or the description or anything like that, doing something a little bit different, which, you know, I'll pretend is for, <laughs> is because I went, oh, this would be a genius idea. But actually, it's just because there's a lot of guests lined up in the coming weeks. But it just didn't fall into place for this week's one. But I didn't want to skip out on another week's worth. And I figured something a bit different that I haven't done before is... I suppose because I at least try, <laughs> hopefully I don't butt into too much with, to people, but I at least try with normal episodes to let the guest share their expertise and their stories uh, for working in the games industry, whether they're a journalist, developer, composer, voice actor, whatever it is. I try and let them tell their stories more because that's why I think people listen. And why I do it, to be honest, that's why I do the podcast. I don't want, I don't even want episodes to be like a, an equal split between me and the guest. I actually prefer the guest to talk more, and I'm just kind of there to help lead them a bit and, and, and share the stories. That's how I view it anyway. I hope that in years' time I'll look back at these episodes and go, wow, there's like a lot of cool stories and experiences shared on this, and that'll be cool. And hopefully that's why people listen to it. But anyway, I, I realized um, I, I would take this opportunity where I don't have any guests lined up for this week's episode, but fear not, I'm doing like four recordings next week. Um, I would take that rare opportunity to maybe share mine, some of my stories and experiences. I rarely do that. Um, You know, having worked in journalism full-time in the past and now working in PR, I will still sometimes get people that will come into my DMs on Twitter um, and ask me how to get into the industry or how to move into PR if they're already in the industry and that sort of stuff. And yeah, maybe I figured that that maybe I'd give one episode while we have the gap for me to just spill those beans and talk a bit about my experiences. I think for the journalism part specifically, (laughs) it's come up a few times in previous episodes where I always worry that I'm almost dissuading people from doing it. But I don't mean to do that. (laughs) Anyway, I'll get to that. What I'll do is I'll sort of run through a little bit sort of my history in the games industry, for those that don't know. And then I'll kind of stop at each point maybe and sort of describe how I got there and how you can move into it and maybe some interesting stories about each each part for me. So we'll see how this goes on my own. So for me, um, I, I, I hate to go on about it because uh, it's not a situation I'm in anymore and I find it kind of, I almost feel kind of bad just mentioning it. But yeah, basically when, it, when, when I was younger, I grew up extremely poor. Um, my family were and still are extremely poor Um to the point that something like branded crisps as opposed to like supermarket brand crisps genuinely were posh to me. I didn't realize that was just a normal thing. I thought it was like a posh thing. And you know, same with like branded Cadbury mini rolls. I thought that was like fancy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so you know, all my my toys came from boot sales. All my video games came from boot sales or bargain bins or um, on some occasions, the library. To PS1s, no more talking about that. Um, but yeah, that's not me moaning. Um, I mean, my family were very good when I was a child at sort of sheltering us from that, as I'm sure is, is the case for a lot of poor families. Um, I didn't know any different, frankly. I still got, I, I think, what a lot of, of, of families that are in poverty do, this seems to be the case for a lot of people, is um, for most of my life, I was raised by a single mum, and what she would do is is she would like get a loan out on the catalog and then pay for Christmas presents throughout the year. Do that loan, which is not a good idea because you're gonna, it will cost you more. And it's, you know, if, if you're poor and you haven't got much money, you shouldn't really waste your money on that. But hey ho, my mum did. And, and and thankfully that means I did genuinely have really good Christmases um, as a kid. We, we got a fair amount of stuff. A lot of it was still boots second secondhand, but I didn't care then and don't care now about that sort of stuff. I I, I don't know why you wouldn't get stuff at secondhand a Shiba. So yeah, j- growing up, in that sort of environment i suppose the one problem is you are not raised to have much expectations like if you if you can get a job in a shop fab like my family weren't working um, if you can get a job in a shop and you can put some food on the table awesome so i wasn't really raised to think career-wise I didn't go to university i still haven't gone to university i probably won't now so yeah i wasn't really thinking that getting into video games career-wise was actually a possibility for me um it kind of just happened like i I never outright went right i want to work hard and get into games get into the games uh, industry it just sort of happened and i'm very lucky for it and sadly as i am talking about all of these elements and and the jobs i've done and stuff Sadly, one thing that is worth pointing out is that luck will always come into it. And of course, privileges, you know, it's, it's social privileges. One thing against me was that I came from a very poor background. That makes it very difficult to get up on the ladder. But I'm also a white male. So, you know, I have that that some other people don't have. So just a balance of, of different privileges. and that. So I have that going for me. But luck is very involved in getting into the industry. Frankly, there is an enormous number of people that want to work in games in some form, whether it's journalism or, or, or PR or whatever, and luck just takes a part of it. So you can do things to improve your chances, but luck will always still play a part. But I'm gonna I'm gonna get into each in element in a minute. So yeah, anyway, the point was that growing up for the background, I had no expectations. I didn't go to uni. Um, I finished school, went into college to take drama, um, and then dropped out because it just it was a lot more written work uh, you know I, I I, like many people I guess took college because I didn't really know what I wanted to do I just did it because I enjoyed drama and improv in school I thought oh, that might be fun and then of course it was a lot of written work and actually studying <laughs> drama as a you know academically which I wasn't interested in so I ended up dropping out and perhaps positively for some people listening Yeah, I didn't go to uni. I I I now feel at twenty eight and haven't been in the industry for a while. I don't know why I ever would anymore. I'm not asked about it at interviews. Nobody bothers asking about it because I've already got the experience under your belt. That's not to say that university is pointless. If you want to get into the games industry, Um, obviously for the areas that I happen to have worked in, it's ended up not being necessary. But if you want to become like a developer or other areas of the industry, I imagine it's more necessary. As, As I'm sure is the case for many jobs and many careers, experience can kind of get you up on that ladder, whereas education would have done so. So, yeah, I'm not saying that university is pointless. It can help you get up on that ladder. Whereas if you don't have used university, there's a lot more luck involved in doing so. So take that as you will. Um, sadly, the games industry, spe- specifically in the UK, is still very middle class background based. I don't remember the exact stats, but there was a survey, I think, by UK And something like 70, 80% of games industry workers in the UK are from uh, middle class backgrounds. Something like that. So it is very difficult for for people from working class backgrounds to to get into the industry. And, uh, you know, there's a wider point in general about society as to why that is. I guess it's because for me, I felt like, I never was aspiring to do anything because I hadn't had that encouragement instilled in me, which is not my family's fault because, you know, they don't have that expectations. They had the same problems themselves. So it's very difficult to sort of break that cycle. But yeah, again, luck luck was it for me. Obviously, I've met much like millions of people was incredibly into video games growing up. I was playing them from like the age of two. Uh, my first games console. Well, my first game's platform was DOS games on a PC in the 90s. Uh, my dad used to, back in the day, work in computing and, and helping build servers and stuff. Um, I'm talking decades ago, he doesn't know what he's talking about anymore, bless him. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I grew up with computers. Um, you know, my first games were on Windows 95. I was playing stuff like Hocus Pocus and Heretic, Jill of the Jungle, Doom, Pickle Wars, loads of random shareware DOS games. Uh, those were my first video games. And then I moved on to um, Game Boy Color was my first proper console. And then the PlayStation 1 was my first home console. And so much like millions of people and pretty much everyone listening to this, I grew up with video games that were deeply important to me Um, throughout my schoolhood. It was, you know, creatively a a huge inspiration for me. On the playground, I would play a game called Rangers (laughs) in in nursery, um, which was just an amalgamation of all the talk, sort of video games and media that I was experiencing at the time that I kind of gave a narrative. And you know, when I went into primary school, I had um, I wrote this is very original. I wrote a comic called Zed Men, and all of the class got involved in it, which is really cool. And you know, at golden times was our break time all the tables would be pushed together and the whole class would sort of sit around the table and I'd assign them characters in the comic and I'd talk about what's going to happen in the next issue and stuff and everyone would collaborate and it was awesome. And all of that sort of, I know it's called zmed but a lot of that was very influenced by the video games I was playing. So yeah, I don't need to tell you that I love video games. That's oh, that's obvious, same, same for everyone listening. Um, so it was a huge part of my life, made me friends and whatnot. Um, and then maybe I think about 10 years ago, I happened to meet Dan Sullivan, who is now the editor at Pocket Gamer. You may know him on Twitter and whatnot. He's been on an episode of this in the past. And yeah, I I can't remember the exact circumstances. He was working at a a game retailer at the time. I can't remember the exact circumstances, but he was working for a site called FinalBossFight.com at the time. He was the co-founder of that site. And yeah, we're talking about 10 years ago, so I think this it was like just before the sort of online indie games site slash blogs kind of became a bigger thing there weren't that many of them so if you had a game site 10 years ago even if you weren't like a big thing it was much easier to get to press events press samples because there simply weren't many of you as long as you emailed pr and stuff and and to be to be honest i'll get into it later but for small sites those opportunities still absolutely exist of course um but perhaps it was easier 10 years ago when there weren't so many of them yeah and so I met Dan Sullivan I can't remember the circumstances and uh ended up writing for his site ended up writing for Final Boss Fight uh, doing reviews and editorials and all the sorts of things you would expect from from a journalism site um yeah it was just like a hobby thing we had like a weekly podcast as well and that was my first foray into doing anything related to the video games industry I went to a press event at Bandai Namco's office. I think it, I think maybe Nino Cooney was there or something. Um, went to Ajax Res and interviewed some people there. Embarrassingly, those videos still exist. <laughs> um, I was very skinny and very wing, I was winging it. Um, and oddly, um, you know, some of the people that uh, I interviewed for those videos one was Nick Tannehill, I still know. Um, I'll have to broach this with them at some point. But yeah, I was out of my depth doing that. But I suppose having done drama, I was very comfortable in front of the camera, very comfortable talking to people. So I kind of was happy to wing it. And yeah, so that was my first experience. And from that, I then started up my own uh, game site slash blog, which was called Coin Arcade. I kind of learned the tricks of SEO. I learned sort of aggregate sites like uh, n4g.com, which I'm not sure how important that sort of stuff is now, but at the time it was very important that could get you a lot of views. And I kind of learned about SEO, Google Google SEO, so I could write an article and ensure that I would turn up on the first page of Google just by making sure I'm hitting all the key terms on um, on a lot of the topics I was writing about. You know, I was writing news stories, was maybe writing like 10, 20 news stories a day on that site. Of course, I wasn't working. I didn't have a full-time job at the time. Again, from a poor background, the almost expectations was, you know, you leave, you leave school, college, then you go sign on. Um, so that's what I was doing for a while. And there was, you know, there was no real expectation that you'd manage to get a job, especially in the town I'm from, my hometown, even at retail, there aren't that many jobs. It is very difficult to get a job in that town. And frankly, there was no encouragement, I suppose, for me to do so. But um, yeah, so I was, I was writing for that website for Coin Arcade. It did very well. I had some of my mates write for it sometimes. Obviously, none of this was earning any money. But all of that is a very important thing thing to do even today if you want to get into games journalism the best thing you could do is have some experience you know whether it's starting up your own site or a small magazine or you're starting up uh, writing for other sites there are always going to be sites out there looking for writers just ask them lots of small sites check on twitter you know put in search terms like xbox review nintendo switch review and you'll find lots of small sites that are reviewing games and stuff and approach them if you are looking to get into this sort of thing and you will almost certainly find one that's going to take you. So long as you've got some level of writing skills. Don't need to have done any reviews before. But, you know, it's free work, obviously. You won't be paid. But for for sites like that size, they aren't earning anything either. So just treat it as a hobbyist thing, I suppose. Of course, sites that are earning money should absolutely be paying the writers. They should. But, you know, uh, that, I, mean, I can only explain how I got interested in it and, in, and, into, um, and into it, of course, um, which was years ago. So some situations may have changed, but that's that's an easy way to get involved. If you want to, Um, I know magazines like Switch Player magazine, um, for example, are are always looking for writers as well. If you have something, something interesting to say, you want to review an eShop game or something. Definitely reach out to those kinds of people if you want to get involved in game journalism specifically. But it's also a really good door to get into the games industry in general. So yeah I was writing for Coin Arcade at the time I had met my now boyfriend who I've been with for eight nearly nine years and yeah again very personal circumstances this is not necessarily useful for anyone else but he comes from a very middle class background so I feel it's almost like I could use his sort of motivation for work to actually do something so he motivated me to start my own site Coin Arcade in the first place. You know and then we moved we had to move for, for circumstances related to his university work and stuff um to a different town I ended up working at game the, the the uk retailer which was super helpful for me i mean something like retail really helps you be able to deal with the public and speak to people and and know how to talk to people which sounds like an odd skill to translate to the games industry but if you're going to work in journalism if you're going to work in pr speaking to people is a big part of that and that's something that people may neglect um, I've always said that games journalism is 50% writing and 50% communicating. You have to be good at writing, but you have to be good at communicating with people because you're going to have to email PR all the time for review codes, for news stories, all that sort of stuff. You're going to have to go to press events. You're going to have to talk to developers and PR there. And the best thing you can do if you want to get up into games journalism is to just circle yourself with peers as well. So you're going to have to be able to talk to other game journalists and, and other people involved in the industry. Of course i've always kind of used my personal twitter account as a personal slash work account um which has been very helpful for, for me regardless of where i've been in the industry because it means that i'm sort of well connected with with other games industry peers and i share games news because i want to and i find it interesting and hopefully that's a helpful resource for some people but also it helps me stay connected with my peers um, who will follow me for that and, and interact with me based on that. Um, So it's useful work-wise as well. And again, if you do want to get into the games industry, something like Twitter, and that can be a bit of a bloody hellscape sometimes, but joining something like Twitter and just following a bunch of games industry people, interacting with them regularly. And I don't just mean like Jeff Keighley (laughs) or like the director of God of War and that sort of stuff. I mean freelance writers for small websites and stuff. Follow them, interact with them. You know, they're going to be your peers if that's what you want to get into. So connect with them all. Um, it's very important very important to um, communicate in journalism it's it's 50 percent the job so yeah it's easy to just contact those sort of small sites and for me working at game and having that sort of site on the side and also my twitter which i was regularly involved in those three things together meant that i was eventually offered to come and interview at the mirror which was in london a big uk newspaper i was in uh, you know uh, the, the the person who was gonna be hiring me was following me on twitter i'd known him for a while we'd spoken a lot he knew that i ran a game site He knew that I worked in game retail. We came from a similar background, so he kind of, I guess, wanted to help give me a leg up as well. Um, Went and interviewed. Obviously, if I was the wrong person for the job, he wouldn't have given it to me. But, um, you know, again, I'm sure there were some privileges and luck involved in me getting that job. Absolutely. But, yeah, I got the job at the Mirror, and that was um, to help with the community team, but with the idea that my my game writing experience um, could help them start writing about video games. And over the course of my time at the mirror, of course, we did start our full time games team. We did write news everywhere. Um, it, it performs really well on that site still does. You know, we we, we did loads of reviews um, went to press events. Amazing time. I'll speak more about some of that in a second. But first of all, I think it's important to note some of the myths, I suppose, about games journalism. If you if it is something that you're looking to get into. Now that I work in PR, I will frequently run press events. And I'll set up meetings for journalists all day long. And more often than not, when I speak to one of those journalists that approach me, I'd say more than 50% of the time they suffer from imposter syndrome. They don't feel like they're really a part of the industry. And usually that's down to, it's not their full-time job. The writing isn't their full-time job, that they work in retail, or they have a quote-unquote normal job somewhere else. So that makes them feel like they're not part of the industry, which is bollocks, absolute bollocks, because more people than not, say that exact same thing I I would say that most game journalists I know do not do it as a full-time job so don't feel discouraged if you're writing for a small site or you want to write for a small site don't feel that you're outside of that bubble like you're not part of it you're absolutely part of it just as an important cog it is anyone else it's just unfortunately games journalism doesn't pay that well I'd say there's only maybe 50 to 100 jobs worldwide that pay really well in games journalism Um, and that's it You know, there's maybe 10 people that are paid very, very well. You know, like the editors of Kotaku and IGN and that sort of stuff. Otherwise, most people are freelance or they write for small sites and have a job on the side. Or indeed, they might be freelance full time and just have to get an awful lot of um, commissions. It's rough. And and this is not me trying to discourage people from doing it. But it's just important that, you know, that games journalists on average are really not paid very well. They've paid very poorly. They obviously get a lot of shit online as well from people. They think they're biased or think that you know they've reviewed a, a, a game too highly or too lowly, um, that they're not real gamers. And the point that I always express to people is they're not paid well and they get shit online. Why on earth would they be doing this job unless they actually really loved video games and wanted to work in video games? I've yet to meet a single game journalist that isn't working as a video games journalist just because they love the work or they love video games. There's no other reason to do it. Um, And that's not me discouraging. There are so many benefits, of course, because assuming you do love video games (laughs) and you're going into it for those reasons and not money, the money isn't there. So why would you go into it for money? Assuming that you are going in for those reasons, there's so many awesome benefits involved. Obviously, review copies. You know, maybe we don't like to say it because we're professional, but it's awesome getting games early. (laughs) Um, it's, It's, you know, not to gloat about, but it's just awesome to know that, wow, like I've been given this game and I get to play early and that's it's it always has been for me and still is an honor when it happens it's just it's it's cool you know and you get to go to events and you get to just I find it very fulfilling that I'm working in video games like I'm doing something involved in the games industry whether it's your full-time job or not irrelevant you're involved and that's cool and that's a really good reason to get involved to it and of course it can potentially help you get to other areas of the industry if that's what you want to do working at game sites Um, it is not uncommon for games journalists that started working for websites or magazines or what have you to then move over into PR or even narrative designing and stuff like that so it is it is an in and before I move on to sort of those other areas of the industry um, that I'm now involved in just to cover I guess some like particularly memorable moments for me working in, in, in games journalism. I still work in games journalism. I do a bit of freelance work, but it of course isn't my full-time job anymore. So my time for it is limited. But once you're working at one site, whether it's full-time or freelancing, if it's notable, you can then of course use that experience to write for other places. So I've written for Fandom and VG247 and Switch player Magazine, a few other places. So it becomes easier once you've got some experience under your belt, even if it is just a small website or magazine, to then pitch to other people. Um, to bigger sites the ones that will pay you and do pitch like if you're already if you listen to this and you're already in that position please pitch <laughs> please pitch ideas you know it doesn't matter who you are if you've got a really cool idea and you're able to do that article it's easier for them to let you do it than for them to go and do all the groundwork themselves if you've already done the groundwork so pitch your ideas to websites i promise you they are after stuff all the time places like vg247 Thegamer.com. They will pay you, <laughs> and they are looking for interesting things. So yeah, definitely do it. As an example, just one of my last freelance pieces I did, just because I thought it was interesting. Uh, there was a game called Poop Slinger or Poop Launcher, something like that. Um, it was like a rare print game that came out and it was a weird story because the company seemingly pretended they went bankrupt and couldn't sell the rest of the copies really odd story so what I did is before I pitched an article about that to a site I already did the groundwork like I researched on that I spoke to some of the other uh, limited print companies of course I should disclose I now work for one <laughs> at the time I didn't and had no idea I ever would but I spoke to some of the other limited print companies like super rare games who I work for now and um, limited run games and asked them is this you is this like some weird marketing things this year and no and you know interviewed them just asked them a couple of questions and sort of did a draft of that article already and then pitched it to a site and then it's much easier to sell them on it when it's like i've already done the groundwork here's the draft i mean i can finish it like today i'm not saying you should always do that and i'm not suggesting that you should always do hours and hours of groundwork for something that might not be accepted as a pitch but as so long as it's not just an idea Although sometimes I'll take ideas, but if you've you've got something, it helps, is what I'm saying. If you're pitching to a bigger site, if you've got some level of groundwork or some level of particular knowledge or expertise in the area that someone at that site won't already have, or that it would be easier for them to just let you do it, then that helps you pitch. But yeah, some of the key moments while I was working full-time in games journalism, you know, one I always bring up is no matter how much shit we got online for being a game journalist or a fit gamer, or no matter how much paying games journalism isn't that good, and all the other problems and whatnot, I always point back to this one moment, which was... I grew up with Kingdom Hearts. That was my all-time favourite game series when I was a teenager. I don't care if that sounds lame. I still love that series with all of my heart. I know how cringy and silly the story is. And I can kind of look past that a bit now. But as a kid, that was deadly important to me that series it was the best thing I was fully into the story I had notes like written notes on on lined paper stuck to my wall of quotes from the Kingdom Hearts 2 trailer um, before that came out Kingdom Hearts 2 was the first game I ever bought with my own money um, and pre-ordered I I had like a little Kingdom Hearts shrine in my room when I was a kid I put the game and some of my merch and stuff there it was deadly important to me some lifelong friends I still have now were made around mutual love of that game. Some of my sincere best friends in the world. Um, so yeah, that series means a lot to me. And I was incredibly fortunate enough to go to the US to interview Tetsuya Nomura while I was at the Mirror. And I got to the hotel when I when I got there and literally just bored my eyes out in, in the hotel. But yeah, just bored my eyes out in the hotel room at the realisation that I was in, I'd never been on holiday. <laughs> I'd, I'd never gone on holiday at all when I was a, a kid with my family. And so to be in the US to interview the creator of the game series that meant so much to me when I was a kid was just overwhelming. Yeah, and that moment will always stick out to me. I mean, I did a lot of awesome stuff for The Mirror. I still work for The Mirror occasionally. And the work that the guys that are still there do is still amazing. Got to interview loads of cool people, but that moment will stick out for me for, for sure. That is like pretty big moment for me. And that's what makes it worth it, you know. Um, I, I will never understand, if I went to press events, I would never understand the journalists or the complain about having to be in another country, to be at an event, or to interview people or to play a game, because... Although I understand it, if they have to pay out their own pocket, then it's definitely understandable. But if it's paid for by the people they're, they're doing the work for, I, well, I would never understand that, because I grew up never leaving my hometown, let alone the country, and to do it for work, for me, was like incredible <laughs> it, it was and still is incredible so yeah those are the good things about going into games journalism it, it's a really cool census community there's lots of awesome people working in games journalism for small sites for magazines so if ever you see me publicly on twitter or on podcasts talk about oh oh journal skill or shit and, oh it's so difficult just remember that I'm just talking perspectively about the, the troubles and how low-paid they are. and you, you may get a lot of shit online <laughs> for your for your opinions about video games, which is absurd and unacceptable. But there are a lot of good points, and that's why people still do it. It is a very rewarding thing to do. So don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. If it is something you're interested in, but just don't do it for the money <laughs> because the money isn't there. And yeah, you, you, you might struggle um, money-wise. So it's not a bad idea to have um, if you're already working to sort of just do it as a side hobby piece and see where it goes make some friends in the industry and that sort of stuff and of course outside of this podcast if you ever want any advice on that sort of stuff please reach out to me i might be a bit slow responding sometimes because i'm a bit busy but i always respond to all the requests i get about this sort of stuff and i'm always open and honest about you know having some luck be involved and needing experience and there being no money but it's still being a rewarding experience so please do try it if you are interested in it still and moving on to what I do now. Um, so I left the mirror because I got an interview offer from Numskull, Numskull Designs, who make a lot of official video game merchandise. They, ha- they didn't have all of what I'm about to say available at the time, but now they're sort of known for quarter arcades, the quarter scale arcade machines, tubs, the collectible uh, ducks that look like different pop culture characters. Um, They're known for their nerdy Christmas jumpers. They release every year. Lots of gaming merchandise for loads of different series from Crash Bandicoot to Resident Evil to Call of Duty and gaming accessories. And yeah, I was offered to interview for there. It was much closer to where I lived. (laughs) Um, And it just sort of made sense to to, to take it when I was offered that job. I'd never worked in PR before, obviously. Um, I feel that a lot of people end up moving over from games journalism into PR Because it is just the other side of the coin, um, which is very useful. Of course, if you've gone to university and studied marketing, awesome. That will help you get a leg up. But this was sort of my own way of getting a leg up, I suppose. And again, it's very luck-orientated, I completely admit. But yeah, I moved into PR from, from journalism. It's the opposite side of the coin. Whereas a journalist, you're speaking to PR to get review codes and news stories and stuff. Then I'm on the other side of it. So you kind of... Going even even having never worked in PR before, I kind of already had an idea of the sort of things that games journalists wanted to hear and the way to talk to them. You know, I would never in my life ever get annoyed at someone for reviewing something poorly or anything like that. And yeah, I feel that just just having been on their side means that I know how to talk to them a bit better. Yeah, so I was thrown at the deep end, dumb skull, and eventually learned the ropes. I feel really well. I feel like I'm pretty <laughs> pretty good at PR right now, actually. Um, and I was obviously running all their social media accounts. While I was there, they launched Tubbs, they launched Quarter Arcade's, they launched NumSkill Games, their video games publisher, and to toot my own horn, I was kind of integral to a lot of those and did a really good job, and I'm very proud to see of the work that I did there. And again, still managed to go to events sometimes, like Gamescom. There's always been, even when I was there, there was always a part of me that still felt, to use sort of a quote that uh, Iwata used, in my head, I knew I was a PR manager, it bit my heart, I was a journalist, (laughs) and I still feel that way. It's something I'm never going to let go of. I'm still going to always want to do it. I still write for The Mirror sometimes. I still do various journalism bits and bobs. And that's because, yeah, I feel like I don't want to let go of that fully. And, yeah, sometimes that would would get to me a bit while I was working in the PR job, but I still managed to do some freelance stuff, and that kind of helped me feel a bit fulfilled. Of course, if you are going to move from journalism to PR, it does sort of block you off from covering the things that you work on. Obviously, and at Numscore they have so many licenses: Tomb Raider, Resident Evil, coolie that that blocked a lot of publishers and a lot of IP off from me being able to cover in journalism ethically. Obviously, I could not and would not cover anything that I had some sort of connection to. But yeah, that that move over to PR um, from journalism is is a possibility. Whether it's it's a junior role at a small company, uh, there are so many games companies that have PR positions, and not all of them require you to have years and years long experience in pr again very luck involved i can only speak from my own experiences but there are a number of journalists that make that jump so that door is open to you and there are some people that have even moved over into other areas of actual de- development side of games from games journalism so it, those are possibilities it is an open door into the industry for you and you know if you're applying to those kind of jobs whether it's skin the games journalism job or pr job sell yourself really well <laughs> in the cv like I know you might feel that, oh, I wrote for this small site, but that's not relevant. Put it down. Put it down and milk it. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel that a lot of people don't do that um, because they're humble or, 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 you know, bloody society has made them feel that you can't do that. But yeah, really milk the stuff that you've that you've done and make it sound relevant to what you're applying for. That has helped me every time. You know, even from the move to game retail to writing for a national newspaper, I was like, oh, you know, I ran the Twitter account, so I know how to do communication with people. i work with customers all the time. So I know how to calm down a situation. I know how to respond to people. And, you know, I've done this small website and I started SEO and blah, blah, And just really milking all of those facts dry a bit. And yeah, in PR at NumScore, I did a lot of cool stuff. Uh, I held press events, met a lot of cool new quote unquote influencer friends, who are still my friends and I still see a lot, which is awesome. And then eventually I moved over to my current job. You know, I got an offer to to work for Super Rare Games. I'd previously, weirdly, met George Perkins, the founder of Super Rare Games, when I was at the Mirror. I'd met him while I was covering video game events and had seen him there and, you know, we knew each other on Twitter again. By the way, every job I've ever had, from game to the Mirror to numbskull to Super Rare Games, the initial contact I've had with those companies has happened over Twitter. I don't know how long that will last for me, but that is the case. And maybe that's something noteworthy for you to look into yourselves if you're interested in the industry. Using a tool like Twitter is very important. Anyway, I had an offer to come and interview Super Rare Games. Obviously, I work there now. A Rare Print slash Limited Games publisher that prints physical games of print Nintendo Switch physical games, um, which is awesome. And it it just sort of feeds into a a lot of what I love about video games. I love physical games. I've been passionate about those for years. I've been passionate about the preservation of video games a lot. In fact, there's a topic that comes up on this podcast all the time <laughs> is the issues revolving around digital games and preservation of games i've been interested in the indie game scene for 15 years now before the boom which was uh, you know i like to go on about it uh, like a hipster but yeah before super meat boy and braid and limbo and all those big indie details that happened i was in that nice little indie scene before that and so it's like tigsaw 64 digit the daily click And it was a lot more niche back then than it is now. But there was a lot of awesome freeware indie games coming out. And amazingly, a lot of those people that was in that community, um, it's been incredible watching some of those people that I spoke to now being commercially successful in in, in the games industry because, of course, they weren't in it for money. It was a hobbyist thing. They were making tiny games that a 100 people, a 1,000 people might play. Seriously, it's sometimes that small. And, you know, they've gone on to make games like Wondersong, like Babber is You. Notch, who made Minecraft, was was on Tigsource. And, you know, we were talking about his cool little quirky game when he first released the uh, original beta for it on on those forums. And now he's a billionaire. So it's been interesting seeing people from that scene sort of move over. But I came from that scene. I came from that scene. I was there when Game Jolt started, which, you know, has been fundamental in getting games like Five Nights at Freddy's to happen. I was there when Game Jolt started, and we were such a small community. (laughs) There was maybe 50 active users on the chat at the time such a small community and obviously then it ballooned and now itch.io exists and that's sort of where a lot of the those kind of games are now instead and so that indie scene has always been very 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 important to me I will still at least weekly look through all of the new releases on itch.io scroll through all the indie games at this point after 15 years of doing it I know exactly which ones just by the look of them I will be interested in and I'll download them I maybe end up downloading like 50 different ones a week or if there's a jam going on more and I have a folder on my laptop still called to test, which are the ones I haven't tried out yet. And there's 40,000 games on there <laughs> the course of 15 years of downloading. And bizarrely, there's some situations where I know that I may be the only person that has a copy of that game still, which is frightening because it's gone from online and the developer hasn't kept a copy. Um, there's one situation where a developer was doing a talk once and wanted to, to talk about uh, one of their games and they didn't have a copy of the game of their own game. and It wasn't online once. And I was like, I have that. And I had to send them their own game. I would definitely need to preserve all this <laughs> at some point because I may seriously be sitting on some games that don't exist anywhere else. But there's a, a wealth of, of great stuff in, in the indie scene. I do like a free uh, indie game thread on Twitter, at the moment. You should absolutely check it out. So many unique ideas come from that freeware scene, which is why they managed to balloon out into commercially successful products like Portal. Came from something similar. And so, yeah, indie games, physical games, always been something important to me. So, it's a dream, basically, to be working for Super Rare Games. Um, I'm frankly uh, loving it. (laughs) It, Although I'm stuck at home with COVID, I've barely been in the office, which is a shame. But I am loving the job. It is a really cool job. And it allows me to do things on the side, still in my own time, like this podcast, like a little bit of freelance journalism. And yeah, hopefully, when the world opens back up again, I'll be doing press events and stuff. And yeah, I've always sort of winged what I'm doing without having a clear plan. As I say, I grew up poor and didn't go, I want to work in the games industry. If I could go back and tell my young self, we'd be absolutely flabbergasted that I am, but I would never have aspired to do it, it just kind of happened. I'm at a point now where I would not work in any other industry, regardless of money, regardless of anything, I will, I will, I'm adamant that I'm always gonna work in video games now, that's what I want to do. But I've never had a plan. So, you know, my first paid job when I was working at game, at retail, I was 20 when I started there, I think 20. And that was my first job. So if you don't have a plan (laughs) to get into the industry, no matter your age, um, don't worry, don't worry about it. (laughs) I mean, luck is involved, but I very much winged it. It's never too late. It's never something that you can't get into regardless of having a full-time job. There are opportunities, but of course, again, it is important to note that there are an awful lot of people that love video games, billions of us, and very limited spaces in some of those job roles. You have got to work hard to try and get it and the luck is involved, but it is worth doing. Yes. Um, I guess that's kind of me sharing some of my story. Hopefully it wasn't too boring. Um, I'm sure I'm missing a lot of key bits out, but that's the, that's the main, you know, that's my main story. Again, very privileged to, to, to do what I do. Luck is involved. I'm always openly clear about that. It may not be very helpful to say that luck is involved, which perhaps why people don't say it, but it is true. And it's, it's pointless pretending it was all skill. It isn't. It wasn't. Um, I did a lot of hard work, but it was luck as well. But if you're not in the industry yet and you want to get into games journalism or PR or something like that, my top tip is honestly get involved with people on Twitter. Follow people, not just the big folk, but small sites and freelance writers and all that. Get involved with them. Talk openly about games on there all the time. And, you know, it's not a closed off community. These people follow you back and they'll interact with you. And then you can pitch for small sites or small magazines and get your start that way and, and see where it goes. That is a really good way of doing it. And you may have to work in your current job still, but never feel that you're not part of the industry, um, whether you are writing or you're making videos. If you're a content creator on YouTube, if you're doing you know anything, never feel like you're not involved in the industry. Um, you are, I promise you are most people i speak to at press events that come up to me still have a full-time job some of them couldn't even get press passes and i had to come outside and meet them and they're like oh thanks for taking the time to speak to me i'm not really a proper journalist so like course you are what are you talking about you write about video games every day so yeah if it's something you want to get involved in it's worth getting involved in sorry for this horrible self-indulgent episode but yeah as i said at the start i just wanted to, to sort of Instead of not have a week with anyone, at least fill the space by being able to jabber on on my own about stuff, which has been fun. And, you know, over the years, I've done lots of little projects and stuff as well, like this Total Games podcast, like the Gaming News Daily podcast I do. I did the Game Anniversary Twitter account, which share the, the gaming anniversary stuff. So I've always had, like, little projects going on, and if you have any of those as well, that's super helpful. And again, as I mentioned earlier, if you do have any of those sort of stuff, always mention it on a CV if you're applying for... Um, anything really and just make it sound relevant you can you can twist virtually anything you've done to make it sort of fit into to something you're applying to um, all of that stuff's relevant all of that stuff is really cool this podcast for example the terminal games podcast is pretty serious about me saying okay i'm going to interview people and speak with people that work in the games industry and i've had folk like grant Kirkhope, who composes music for banjo kazooie and rare and marion rabbits and folk like kira buckland who voices 2b in your automata and tommy refines who made super meat boy you know all these people that work in the industry but then i've also had people that run twitter accounts like can you pet the dog and smaller youtubers like twip and in my mind they're all on a completely level field they all have involvement in the games industry so yeah no matter what you're doing you're relevant i promise Um, And all the little things you're doing, all the projects you're doing, any small work you're doing, if you're doing any of it, it's important, I promise. Um, Yeah, hopefully this has been somewhat helpful. Again, as I mentioned at some point during this very self-indulgent and long podcast of me rambling on my own. If you want any advice or help, please ask. I may not have all the answers. I can only speak from my own perspective, of course, but I am happy to help. And hopefully this has been somewhat interesting. Thank you for joining me and only me on this episode. I promise on the next episode we will have a guest. And they will mostly be talking about the cool things they've done. If you want to support this podcast, by the way, you can do so at patreon.com slash toadsanime. There is a new episode of this Toad on Games podcast every single week where I speak to a different person from the video games industry on each episode. So It's very varied. It can be YouTubers, journalists, developers, composers, all sorts. Hopefully some really interesting people that you will like. And yeah, a new episode is out every week. If you do support the podcast on Patreon, You can get access to every episode early on. I think at the moment, the pledge is $3 with plus tax. It's probably about $4 um, to get access, early access to each episode. So that's four episodes a month, hopefully about a dollar a month, basically per episode, which isn't too bad, I hope. Um, And yeah, you'll get early access on a Friday to every episode. And then they come out publicly on the Monday on Spotify and Apple podcasts and all that good stuff. Um, So, yeah, your support is massively appreciated, even if it is just a dollar. Um, I thank every single person at the end of each episode, which I'm going to do in a second. I always feel like I want to point this out. Maybe I shouldn't. It is very self-defeating, but I don't depend on Patreon money. It's just it just helps make me feel that what I'm doing is worth my time and that it's appreciated. And then I go on eBay for Digimon toys or some random crap. Um, So please, and I mean this, if you are struggling in any way with money, please don't give me anything because it would be wasted Um, it is just a nice bonus for me please only do so if you if you can again that's a very self-defeating thing to say but i do really appreciate everything and i wouldn't want someone that is in financial difficulty to give me any money i would feel dreadful so i read out the names as they're listed on the patreon uh, relationship manager I'm terrible at pronunciations, I apologise. And if you want me to name you by any other name, please tell me privately and I will remember and do so next time. But thank you so much to Nick Coveney, Philip Veloti, I'm sure it's Philippe, I'm, I'm dreadfully sorry, KM, Nathan, Romy Halfweig, David Jarrett, Andy Jones, Kamal Palaher, Far Few Giants, Robert Cathles, James Coop, Thomas, Francisco Limas, E.M.H. Richard, Corey Class. Chris Wood, Gregory Phillips, Lee Chapman, Stephen, Andy Robertson, Gregory Kroll, Joe Sheedy, and Ryan Winter. Thank you so, so much, whether it's a dollar, three dollars, or whatever. Thank you so much for supporting this. Um, Genuinely, it's it's amazing to even get five dollars total from people. It makes it feel like everything I'm doing has some value and some worth, and that even if one person listening to this is interested, that's awesome. So thank you so much, and I will catch you on the next episode with a real person. Bye for now.